wonderful. Love the music. Thank you, sir. Take your Bibles, and we're going to be away from 1 John just for this week. We'll be back next week. I have a whole other song series we're going to be using to help you remember, remember what we're talking about. But today, uh, this is the first day of the new church year. And so I want to try to set the stage right. We've had a tremendous year, even though we've been in the midst of a, a pandemic, and certainly we need to pray about what's happening now around our country and the world. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes as we start this new year about authentic worship. Authentic worship. That's what we're going to really see here in Psalm 95. What does it look like? Because authenticity is key. And I have a confession to make. Um, over the years, I have bought my wife quite a bit of jewelry from hospital gift shops, okay? Um, don't judge me. Some of you guys have done that too. But as a pastor, especially um, when you grow in from, from different sized congregations, I was in the hospitals a lot, making a lot of visits. I was there regularly, a lot of times leading up to birthdays or other, you know, Christmas and other things. And so it's kind of been this running thing in our marriage for over 20 years now about did that come from a hospital gift shop? And I say, yeah, but baby, it said it was genuine sterling silver, right? Genuine. And sometimes those pieces have held up and been okay, but a lot of times, um, do you know what color her, her wrist and fingers and neck have become? Yeah, kind of green. She's like the Hulk sometimes when I have given her some of these pieces because the reality is um, not everything that says authentic or genuine is. And that's bad with jewelry, but it's worse with people. And so I want us to talk about being authentic not an imitation, but authentic and true to who we are, our personality, our spirit, our character. One of the ways this manifests itself is in, even in preaching. Talking to some of our guys this week, and I was making the statement that I don't know that in my ministry I've ever sat down and listened to three or four sermons on a passage before I preach it. I know guys that do, and there's some issues with plagiarism right now, even in our own convention, and I completely, completely, completely detest the idea of stealing from someone, anything, much less a sermon. God did not call me to be an echo, but a voice. And so I don't need to steal. I need to learn and grow and learn from others, but I don't need to just sit down and listen to a bunch of messages because it's not true to me. It's not true to my personality, my spirit, or hopefully character. And so when we look at passages like this, David is saying, you need to be the real deal. And you say, how do you know it's David? Well, the writer of Hebrews attributes this psalm to King David, Hebrews 4, 7. And what David's trying to do is he's calling the people of God to acknowledge that the Lord is the great king above all gods. He is the only authentic God. Everybody else is phony. He's the real deal. And so it's called an enthronement psalm. It's, it's saying, God, you're on the throne and I acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And there are other enthronement psalms, 47, 93, then 95 to 99. God is authentic, so he should be worshipped as the one true living God. The passage is quoted five times, in fact, by the author of Hebrews. And what it's stressing is this. The Mosaic generation, the generation that was in bondage in Egypt, failed to reach the promised land. Remember, they all died in the wilderness and their children would inherit the promise because they did not stop grumbling and complaining and they would not worship God authentically in the wilderness. So God took that blessing from them. And so uh, back last year, January of 2020, before we had heard of COVID-19, 
before any of us had experienced this global pandemic, I brought you a message on GPS, finding and following God's direction. In fact, it was a multi-part series, and I said, GPS, grow in a grace group, participate in worship, in grace worship and beyond, and then serve. Well, I gave you a little hint into this psalm way back then. We looked at a little piece of it, but we didn't unpack it holistically. And so I wanted to go back to it while I'm taking this one-week hiatus from 1 John. And I want to talk about what we learn when we worship God authentically and what blessings we receive. And I want to give you some sort of feet to the message at the end and hope you'll get on board with us in some things. So let's start by looking at our text together. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. And look what David is saying here. And remember, David was a worshiper. David was a musician. David was a king. David was a man who made a lot of mistakes. But David was a man after God's own heart. And he's encouraging the people of God. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. Little g. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Now notice the call to action. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation, and I said, it's a people who go astray in their hearts. They don't know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray together, church. Lord, today I bow before you, and I speak not only for myself, but on behalf of every person in the room and many others out there that are watching now or listening later. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes and our hearts. Sometimes I pray for you to speak, but that's somewhat redundant, given the fact that you've just spoken. When your word is read, you are speaking. And so now I just pray that we will hear, we will obey, we'll please you. God, touch every heart. Move people to response for your glory and their good in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So let me give you some elements of authentic worship. And you know, as much as I love a full room, and I'm sure you did too, we realized the last few weeks as we were all worshiping together that um, it got a little uncomfortable at times with our proximity. And so we do believe it's better to be in two, although I love to have one all the time. And so it lets you spread out. And um, remember, we still have sanitation stations available to you if you need those. If anything you need, just go to the information desk and we'll provide. We want to make sure we're keeping folks safe and trying to keep everybody healthy. But as it stands right now, we're not rolling back with any previous ask. We're just saying do what you're comfortable with doing. And if you're tuning in out there and waiting for the right time to come, there's plenty of room in our services now that we're back in two, but we hope they continue to fill up as uh, school starts back. So just so you know kind of where we are with that. 
So let's talk about worship for a moment. Now, how do we understand authentic worship? Let me show you the first thing I saw here in the text. Authentic worship includes a call to rejoice. There's rejoicing here. And I'm not making that up. The word's right there in the text. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord and shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We come before his presence with singing. We shout joyfully to him with psalms. So you get this idea of joy, 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 rejoice. Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for over 30 years. He had an incredible wit and work ethic. He was a great justice, highly respected of his time, but he was interviewed one time, and they asked about his career choice to go to law. And he said, well, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. I've met some of those guys. Some of those guys back from seminary days that just hated anything they had to do. Oh, I've got to write another sermon again. I've got to go to the hospital. I've got to counsel. I've got to, and I'm going, got to. Man, you get to. This is a call of God. And if you can't have joy in serving the Lord and the people of God, maybe you don't have the call of God in your life. Maybe you're off a little bit. And so I look at this and I say, Lord, there should be a joy in the people of God. Now, five things that I did share with you January of 20, but I wanna, I'm going to go through them very, very, very quickly because we were doing that in the context of a broader message. Let me show you five things I want you to see with authentic worship. You ready? Worship is communal. Communal. Four times in verses 1 and 2 we find the phrase, let us, let us, let us, together, let us. Sing and shout and worship. Yes, there's a private element, but there's a communal element. The second truth I want you to see of worship is vocal. Too many times we think of worship as private, but we also think of it as silent. Did any of you growing up have a parent who would thump you on the ear, pop you on the back of the head if you made noise in church? I see that hand. Thank you. A lot of y'all. But for some of us, that's translated over into, I'm going to keep my lips sealed and never make a sound. And I don't know that that's healthy for you. I mean, some of you guys, your lips are pursed so tight when it comes to worship, especially through the Word, that you couldn't drive a straight pin in your mouth. I mean, you're like, oh, I can't talk, I can't react, I can't respond. Listen, we need to understand that if you can go to the game and you can be crazy and you can shout, and you can say, that's my boy, that's my team, those are my girls, whatever it is. If you can do that for something that's a game that won't last in the Olympics or whatever it is, and I love the games too, but if you can do it for that, could you not get a little more vocal for Jesus, okay? I think it's okay. And it's okay to clap, and it's okay to raise your hand, and it's okay to shout every now and again. Now, I'm not saying be a distraction, but I'm saying we got to come alive a little bit in the church because if people walk in and it feels like a funeral service, why in the world would they want to stay or come back? It can be a funeral service, folks, because I don't serve a dead guru. I serve a living Lord. We're alive because Jesus is alive. So that worship is vocal. Worship is vibrant. Vibrant. Scholars have said one of the key notes of Old Testament worship is exhilaration. When people encounter the living God, they find exhilaration, that the Spirit is just surging through them. And so, you know, when we look at the verbiage here, it sounds like we're at a Friday night football game, not in a worship service. But it says, shout joyfully to the Lord, to the rock of our salvation. And it says, shout joyfully. And these, these words, shout can I tell you what they mean in Hebrew? Shout, okay? 
Make a loud noise. You say, well, how are you positive it means shout? Do you all remember when Joshua was leading the Israelites around Jericho? You remember? What did he tell them to do after their final march when the trumpet blew? What, what were you supposed to do, Israelites? Shout. And then what happens to the wall when the people shout? The wall comes crumbling down, right? You've heard it. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come crumbling down. And so uh, that same exact Hebrew language is used right here in the psalm. Shout. In fact, it's used again in 1 Samuel 4, 5, when the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the camp. Israel raised such a great shout that the ground was moving. Man, I want people to come to that service station if it ever opens across the street or over here to McDonald's or one of 543 storage facilities or donut shops in Carnes, and I want them to hear that the ground is shaking around Grace Baptist Church. You say, but pastor, there's only so many of us. Yes, but God rocked the world with 11. Did y'all know that? When Jesus went back, 11, and then they added a 12th. And so if the world can change with that small group, surely we can shout for the Lord. You know, we sang that song back in the, what, 90s, shout to the Lord, all the earth. Uh, but I don't know that we do it very much. You know, in 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, David was bringing the ark. The people were bringing the ark of the covenant back. Now, the ark, remember, held the tablets from Moses, Aaron's rod, it held a jar of manna. It held some very sacred special items. And that changed a little bit over the generations, but a very, very holy piece. And the Bible says that David, do y'all remember what he did before the Lord? He what? Danced before the Lord with all his might. And you say, yes, but bless God, I'm a Baptist. That doesn't really mean dance. No, it really means he liked to move it, move it. I promise you, that's what the Hebrew means. He moved it. And Baptist, he moved his feet, too. He moved it. And, you know, people didn't like it. His own wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, she didn't like it. She saw him dancing and leaping before the Lord. In verse 16 of that chapter, she despised David in her heart. But David basically responded in saying, I didn't do this for you. I will celebrate before the Lord. So your worship can be vibrant when you don't worry about what other people think, and you're not doing it for them anyway. Do it as unto the Lord. So if you want to say amen, say amen. Some of y'all had a hard time getting that out your mouth right there. I know some of y'all went, amen. It's all right. But why are we often critical of others whose worship is more animated than us, more enthusiastic than us? Now listen, y'all. Extremes should be avoided. I get it. Okay? I don't want you coming down the aisles flopping like fish and doing all manner of crazy. But, as Gordon Dahl said in his book, Work, Play, and Worship, listen to this. Most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. That's a good word. So we collectively express our worship vocally and with vibrancy and exuberance, and we sing songs and raise the volume with joyful gratitude to the rock of our salvation. But worship is more than a song we sing, and it's more than a music style. We know it's a lifestyle. And as Oswald Chambers put it, a joyful spirit is the nature of God in my blood. In other words, I cannot help it. I will not be beat by a rock. I will praise my living Lord and Savior. Now you say, but I'm just not as comfortable with that. Well, listen, don't push beyond what you're comfortable with, but maybe you need to broaden your comfort zone. Maybe you need to understand that God at times wants us to lift up and make 
a joyful noise. There is a time for that. It is collective. It is, it is uh, vocal. It is vibrant at communal, not just collective, although it's the same meaning. And it is God-centered. You see that number four? It's God-centered. Our focus isn't just how worship makes me feel or you feel. It's just about how God sees it. We sing for joy to the Lord. We shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. We come before him with thanksgiving. We extol him with music and song. I love what Jeff did today. And he had some praise singers, some of the team singing different parts. And I was holding Miss Lucy and I was pointing to her Gma over there. And she sang so beautifully as always and so pretty and all of that. And I know that what makes that right before the Lord is her heart is right before the Lord. It's not just a good voice God desires. It's a right heart. And so that makes it more beautiful. But the point is, that worship is not for or about her or anybody else here or there or back there. That worship is for and about the Lord Jesus Christ. Christocentric, theocentric, God-centered, not man-centered. So we don't just talk about how worship makes us feel, but we engage our body and soul and spirit and we have this centeredness on the rock of our salvation. So it is corporate and collective, it's communal, vocal, vibrant, God-centered, and finally, worship is founded on truth. Verses 3 and 4, the sovereignty of God is the basis for our worship. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods, and in his hand are the deep places of the earth. We were out on Lake Norris yesterday, and there are some deep places over there. 200 feet my GPS was showing, my fish finder was reading, and then there's some high cliffs and God's in all of it. And the ones that are much deeper and the ones that are much higher. God's in all of it. The heights of the hills are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. You see that God is in control. And then four and five, when it talks about all of those things, you know what? He is not only these are the works of his hands, but these things are still in his hands. So he created them, but he keeps them. He's got the whole world in his hands hands. So it's collective and it's communal, vocal, vibrant, God-centered, founded on truth. But it's easy for us, it's easy for us to begin to be judgmental, especially in corporate worship. Way back in the day when I used to play and sing and do some traveling, I uh, got invited to go back to my little nanny's church. My nanny who's home with the Lord, who's my mother's mother. Nanny was from a very, very rural area in north-central North Carolina, Caswell County. It's got a few more people there now. But back in the day, they went to the Pentecostal Holiness Church. You say, why did they go there? I asked my nanny that, and she said, that's the one they could walk to. You went to the church in your community, and the Pentecostal Holiness Church was where they could walk. So when my family, my mother and she was about 12, and Nanny and all of them moved to Greensboro, North Carolina, they found the first Pentecostal Holiness Church of Greensboro, North Carolina. That's where they went. And um, I loved that church. I didn't grow up there. I grew up in a Baptist church on the other side of town, but I visited frequently. And when I got older and started traveling and singing, they invited me to, to do a kind of a concerty thing there, worship service. They were televised. They were one of the first churches in our area televised. And back then with the cameras, the lights had to be massive and they were hot. They were so bright when they cut them on, you could hardly see anything in the, in the house, in the sanctuary. So I'm up there singing. In those days, I had keyboard. I would run my own stuff, set up my own equipment, run my own sound. And so I kept getting feedback. You know that 
awful, ah, that loop that you hear, and it just, it great. And so I'm singing, and I'm working, and I don't remember if I was playing, but I was trying to correct the problem. People were exuberant. Have you ever been to Pentecostal Holiness Church? Okay. So they were participating as much as me, and it was great. And I've preached there, and it's wonderful. They're wonderful, wonderful, beautiful people. But I finally was able to see, about right back there, through the lights that were much, much brighter than these, I was able to see there was a lady standing up, and she had her hands up, and she was actually, ah, she was my feedback. <laughs> I, I was, I was touching a dial that wasn't turning her down. <laughs> and that's the first time. I've told that privately. I've never told that story publicly. And I mean no disrespect by it whatsoever. I know we still have family and friends that worship there, and it's a wonderful house of the Lord. It's a different name now. But, uh, and I mean no respect. That lady is very likely home with Jesus now. But what I realized in the moment was part of my spirit was saying, why don't you just be quiet? Don't you see what I'm up here doing? I'm going to be straight, okay? I know, you can't believe I would think that as holy as I am. But I'm just telling you, why can't you just, you know, tone her down? But equally, thankfully, even though I was young, I think I was 14-ish, even then, though, something, and I guess it's now I would say the Holy Spirit informing me to say, who are you? If she's worshiping me, who are you, big boy, to judge the way she would worship? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be careful. We should avoid being a distraction to others and all those things. I get it. But some of us, if we're honest, are just too uptight about what somebody else is doing. I know how parents are. I know with, with even Miss Lucy right now, you got to keep her busy. She's occupied. They wanted to try her in the worship center. She's been having fun there, but she's here. And I know you get nervous and you think, well, what if she makes a sound? Well, what if she makes a sound? Who cares? Wouldn't you rather be in a church where children are making noise than a dead funeral parlor? I'm okay with that. She can talk. I'm her G-Pie after all, and if you say anything about it, we're going to the parking lot. <laughs> the, the point is, I think sometimes we think we have other people's buttons, and we don't. So why don't you focus on your own button? Why don't you be authentically who God made you to be? If you're quiet and you prefer it, so be it. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you never open your mouth and give God a shout of praise, if you never sing to his glory, you say, oh, I can't sing. He's not asking for that. He's asking for a joyful noise. You're a noisemaker. <laughs> Don't worry about it. But if you can't do that, you're going to be uncomfortable in heaven because, y'all, it's going to get loud up there. I'm just here to tell you. There are going to be people from every tribe and tongue, every nation around this beautiful world, and they're going to be worshiping. And at times, it's going to blow out the roof. It's going to make the first Pentecostal Holiness Church look tame. Do you have joy in your worship, rejoicing? Authentic worship not only includes a call to rejoice, and these last two are short. Authentic worship includes a call to reverence. Reverence. Six and seven. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. There's a change of tone here from enthusiastic loud songs of joy to awe-inspired reverence and humility, falling from praise to prostration. I'm going before the Lord. Reverence means I acknowledge he is God. He is the good shepherd. He is taking care of me. So there's animated rejoicing. Then there's some speechless reverence. And by the way, just because it's loud doesn't mean it's irreverent. And just because it's quiet doesn't mean it's reverent. 
Don't let volume be the sole indicator of whether or not something's authentic. Authenticity begins inside. And so you can judge another person for being too loud or too soft, but you don't know their heart before the Lord. So be careful. Be careful. And so now we are the flock under the care of our shepherd. We accept our place before him while acknowledging his place before us. It's like when I pray with people to receive Christ. Anytime I'm able, I say, wherever we are, if they're physically able and the the place is okay with it, I say, can we go on our knees? Can we get down on our knees before the Lord? Can we come as a servant before a king and pray that God would come into your life and save you and change you? And we do that because I think it's very vivid and important to say he's the king, he's the shepherd, and I'm not. So, you know, I think the deeper our relationship with God, the more profound our sense of awe and reverence. I like to cut up and have fun. But you got to understand, I do take the gospel seriously. You got to understand, I'm never saying, yo, JC's my homeboy. Look at him. Yo, yo, I'm not going to do that. Not because that particular language is irreverent, but I do think we can get too casual with God. We can get sort of too off the cuff with the Lord. And I do think we've got to be super, super careful because in the covenant name of God, Yahweh in the Old Testament, that Hebrew name, Yahweh, the Jews, even to this day, Orthodox Jews, it was so holy they wouldn't say the name. They took out the vowels and they called him Adonai or Lord, as we would say, Lord God, but they wouldn't even say the name. But what I find in this passage is we have this move from praise to prostration. And you see both. We have shouts and silence. You get happiness and holiness. You get rejoicing and reverence. And they're not just different. They're all part of worship. And what kind of church are we anyway? If people come and see the gathered church called grace, I don't mean the building. I mean the gathered church called grace. What do they experience What I want them to experience is the presence of Almighty God. I want them to get a word from the Lord. I want them to see authenticity of the people that are raising voices and opening the good book together. But what do they experience? Is it all up here? Is it all down here? Or is there a good balance? I have been to a few churches. I was at one on the other side of the world a few years ago. Very, very well-known church. But what broke my heart and the hearts of those in my party who were with me, other ministers and leaders, was that it looked no different, essentially, from a lot of the rock concerts and big shows we had been a part of or been to way back. And other than some sanctified lyrics, if you will, it didn't seem to be as much about the Lord as how cool the praise band was. And listen, God is not impressed with our show. Y'all know that, right? You can get better lights and sound systems and venues other places. You can get better concerts if you want them. If you've never seen Garth Brooks in person, I mean, you can get a better show, right? And I like Garth Brooks, but I don't want a Garth Brooks worship pastor. Does that make sense? I don't want a Garth Brooks praise team. I want people that understand when we are in the house of the Lord together, and even when I'm in my truck or on the deer stand, this is about Jesus and putting a smile on his face, not about me or the show. Authentic worship includes a call to rejoice and a call to reverence, and I'll leave you with authentic worship includes a call to respond, to respond. You see in the end of verse 7 it says, today if you'll hear his voice, today. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion and the trial in the wilderness. Don't do that. What in the world? Today. One paraphrase translation says, drop everything and listen. 
Listen as God speaks and don't turn a deaf ear. Two things I want you to see. First, there's a dramatic change of mood yet again. So there's a sense of urgency. Shout aloud to the Lord. Bow before him. Now respond to him. Today. Do you also notice there's a change of person? David was speaking to us. Now God directly is speaking to us. Don't harden your hearts. When your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they saw my work, these are my people who go astray. They will not enter my rest. God himself is speaking straight to us. And God says, I want you to listen. Don't just come and sing. Don't just come and praise. Listen. And so we look at our entire service here as worship. What we do in the beginning and singing and playing, that's worship. What these guys do with cameras and video and media and directing, that's worship. What these sweet folks do at the doors, that's worship. What those godly men and women do out back with our children, even changing a dirty diaper that G-Paws no longer have to do, praise God, that is worship. All of that is worship to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's all a part. When they're on the golf carts outside or on safety and security in here or teaching children or working together, it is worship. And we've got to remember that if we're not careful, we'll test and try the Lord and lose his blessing. See what happened was in Exodus 17. Let me give you the words. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The Hebrews Meribah. As in the day of the trial. Masa in the wilderness. Meribah and Masa are mentioned in the Bible. In Exodus 17. You may remember. God's people were out in the wilderness. They had been delivered from Pharaoh. And they're journeying. They're running out of water. The Bible says they begin to grumble and complain against Moses. In fact they want to even stone Moses. And Moses had delivered them. But God gave Moses specific instructions. This first time, he said, strike the rock, water will come out. And that's exactly what Moses did. He messed up the next time. And it would cost him his entrance to the promised land. But this time, Moses did what he was supposed to do. Water gushed out. The people were able to drink. But they had grumbled against and tested the Lord. And God said, do not do what that generation did. Don't test me. Don't grumble against me. I am in control. And in your wilderness, when you are thirsty, when you think you will die, remember, I've promised you a good land. I've promised you a home eternal. If you'll walk with me and trust me, I will walk with you. I will be with you. Don't lose my blessing. And that generation lost God's blessing. Like Israel in the wilderness, our grumbling proves our lack of trust in God. We shouldn't harden our hearts. We should respond in obedience. You see what God said do? Get out of Egypt. Go take that land. A very short journey. A very, it, it really, even scholars that are liberal with time say a few weeks. A couple of months. But they weren't out there a few weeks or a couple of months. They were out there over four, 40 years. Why? You know why. They sent 12 spies into the land. And 10 of 12 came back and said, oh, oh, oh no. They are way too big for us over there. We're like grasshoppers to those people. They will crush us. And God through Moses is saying, go, go, go. I'll fight your battles. This is your land. Go. Everywhere your foot touches, I'm going to give to you. Go. And the people said, oh, no. Now listen to me. The majority is not always right. You can use that however you want to. But the majority is not always right. 
The majority said, we cannot. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can, we should. And so the people were like, nope, not going to do it. And God said, oh, really? You're not going to do it? Whoop, there's my hand of blessing off of you. Then the people got all wigged out and said, oh, wait a minute. We don't want to wander the wilderness. We've got to go in. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And God said, you better not. And they said, we're going. And he said, you better not. And they said, here we go. And a lot of them were whacked and died. And then the rest of the generation, over 20, died in the wilderness. Because, see, you need to be obedient now. What do I say? My kids know this phrase. Delayed obedience is disobedience. you got to be obedient now. That's why the Bible says today, today if you'll hear his voice. I just wrote it this way. This should be the last thing in your notes. Worship is worthless without obedience. See, you can come in here and sing God's songs, and you can praise the Lord all you want, but if you don't obey what the Lord wants you to do, it's worthless. I, I, I've told you to find and follow God's direction. You really need to grow in a group. We call them grace groups. Get yourself in a group. Get into the Grace U, Grace University Wednesday night classes. Get in a group, but also participate in worship. When you're here, sing the praises of God. Your voice is beautiful to him. At times, be still before the Lord, as Jeff wrote that beautiful song and we sang it this morning. But also serve in and through your church. Many of you are already doing this. Some of you are not. You're saying, Pastor Bobby, how can I be obedient right now? Watch this. Look on the screen. Have you ever seen that before? That's called the Internet. Al Gore invented it, he said. So that's the Internet. That's our homepage of our website. On the second tab of that, it says About Us. You can scroll down to a button called Serve, and there's a whole screen of opportunities. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of opportunities broken into categories like your welcome and your kids and your students and your college and your praise and worship ministries and media ministries and prayer and care and our special friends and our Grace Go Missions ministry and so many opportunities. You say, that's too hard. I can't find that. We have an app. Did you know that? We have an app. And right down the top side, you see on the left, it says serve with the Grace family. And you can hit that button. Watch how hard this is going to be. You go, Boop, oh, no, just boop. And it takes you to a little screen and it gives you all these wonderful categories and you say, that's too difficult. Well, you have a camera on your phone. <laughs> We're working to eliminate excuse, eliminate excuse. You have a camera, I want you to try something right now. Take my photo, no, I'm kidding, don't take my photo. Open your phone, everybody open your phone. Your kids have already been on it anyway. Go ahead, open your phone. See if you can zoom in and make that come up. Just see if you can, you, it's not, we're not going to track you, we're not going to listen to your conversations like Amazon and Facebook do, we're not going to sell you a vacuum cleaner later tonight, just open that and put it on your phone. Android, can somebody with an Android phone do it and tell me if it works? It's working? Sweet, I see those hands. What about Apple users? Apple users, is it working for you? If it's not, in a minute I'm going to ask you to come to the altar and you can shoot it from the altar, okay? It's just going to stay there. Because what I'm trying to do is eliminate excuse. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. Do we need help in a lot of areas? You better believe it. We have more little kids running around. We have more ministry starting. We got a new church here going. But it's not about what we need. It's about what God's gifted you to do. And it's about an opportunity for you. Today, if you'll hear his voice, be obedient. Today, if you'll hear his voice, be obedient. If you have any trouble with this, you can reach out to the office and we'll help you. Give us a couple of weeks. If you're willing to prayerfully consider a category... 
You just take your camera and open it. Don't take a photo of it. Let the little thing, some of you are taking my picture. Thank you very much. But you just zoom in, zoom in until you get the little dialogue box. It'll take you right where it needs, you need to go. Pray about where God would have you sign and then sign today. And all you're doing is saying, I'm willing to talk to somebody. Some of our team will reach out to you within the next week or two and say, hey, you want to plug in here? Let's talk about what that might look like. You have an opportunity. The other thing, did everybody get an invite card to the Boom Bash? I think they look like that. Did you get one? If you did, would you hold it up? This is, if you'll hold it up, find it and hold it up. Find it and hold it up. Take a picture, and I'll tell them this many got saved at church today. Okay, good. No, I'm kidding. All right, you got it. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. So maybe you're already serving. Great. Awesome. Here's what I want you to do. Please give this away to a non-grace person this week. You can do that before Saturday. We're expecting thousands of people on campus. I'm going to give a very short, hopefully very clear gospel presentation. We're going to give people an opportunity to be saved. What could be better than as we start this new year, new school year, new church year, what could be better than to start it with new brothers and sisters in Christ? What could be better than to have fireworks after we've baptized folks and celebrate new life with Jesus? What could be better than as we look toward the heavens to know that there are people who weren't going earlier in the evening, but they're going, and you can have a hand in it? I'm not asking you to give them a dissertation. I'm asking you to invite them to a great evangelistic event. And I'm asking you to really do three things, pray, invite, and attend. It won't cost you a penny. It won't cost them a penny. Pray invite and attend, but we as a church have spent a lot of time, effort, and resources, monetarily and otherwise, to make this happen. So be with us. I want to close with this. Way back in 92, the Dallas Cowboys, we got some Cowboys fans on our team. Uh, hey, Mike, hey, Kev. Um, and we love them anyway, but we've got these Cowboys fans. 92, y'all remember this, boys. The Dallas Cowboys preparing to play the San Francisco 49ers for the NFC Championship in San Francisco uh, in January of 93. So they had a pep rally. Before the boys would fly out, they had a pep rally in Texas, then Texas Stadium. And uh, to, to read about it and to see clips, it was incredible. The audience cheered wildly as each player was introduced. They carried banners. Y'all been to a good pep rally? They painted their faces up, you know, and they wore their, red, their white and blue, and, and they tried to get autographs. And no fan walked away from that event saying, man, that was a dud. That did nothing for me. They left the pep rally jazzed up, and the event was a success, not because the performance was great. They never hiked the ball. They never had a down. They never played. Not because the speakers were that great. A lot of the football guys spoke, and it was, you know, it was what it was. It wasn't that inspiring, but the event was awesome because everybody knew why they were there. The purpose of the pep rally was not to please the fans, but to honor the team. The purpose of church is not to please those who attend, but to honor the good Lord above. And so rather than us walking away saying, well, I didn't get too many warm fuzzies today, it's not about your warm fuzzies. It's about pleasing God Almighty who made you, who saved you, who sustains you every single day. And by the way, I'm not trying to lead a church to accumulate a bunch of fans. I want a bunch of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference is a fan stays in the stands. A follower gets out on the field. Pad me up, coach. I'm ready to bust heads in Jesus' name. Let's go with it. I want you to be followers. 
I want you to be followers. I want you to be sold out for Christ. And if you're like me and you ever played any sports at all, I wasn't the kid that did well out of the game. I wasn't good on the bench. I know you find that shocking, but I was antsy, man. I wanted to get out there. I wanted to be on the field. I wanted to be on the court. I wanted to be wherever I had an opportunity to be so that I was in the middle of the action. Why did you come today? Why are you tuned in today? Do you always want to be a spectator? Or do you want to get into it? Because here's the deal, guys. This is not a game. This is life. And you can touch people whose eternities will be changed because you were willing to participate. You were willing to obey the voice of the Lord. You have no idea when what you do can touch someone else. Worship is more than singing a few songs and having a few rituals or enduring a sermon. Some of y'all are like, yep, enduring again. We're going to come and experience the presence of God and acknowledge his authority in our lives and worship him as our creator, and we are to pledge our faith and obedience to seek his honor. Y'all getting excited? Football's about to start. Is anybody else excited for that? Man, I'm excited. I'm ready to see. I'm ready to see what the Vols are going to do. I think with new coaches and new opportunities, it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a fun year to see what happens. But I am more excited about this church year to see what King Jesus is going to do. I want to rejoice with you. I want to show reverence with you. And I want to respond with you. And at the end of the day, I want the Grace family to all engage in authentic worship. Stand with me this morning. Here's what I want you to do. Simple invitation. Simple, simple, simple. If you need to trust Jesus, you need to come first. Pastors and counselors are ready at the stairs on the sides to receive you. Just come. We'll help you. If you need to come and and say, you know what, I want to be a part of this church, I'm going to ask you to come and talk to Cindy and I. We had a number of people do that after the first service today. I want to be a part of this church. Come tell us that. But a lot of you, I want you to pray about where God would have you to serve or continue to serve. And you saw that QR code, it's been up there a long time now. Go through the website, go through the app. If none of those work for you, reach out to the office. Pick up the good old telephone and take your rotary dial and call us, okay? That's fine. Just call us. And we would love to plug you in and have you serve because I want you to be obedient today. I want you to, some of you, I want you to come because you just need to pray. God, show me, show me, help me, define for me exactly what you want me to do. But I'm not asking you to pray about whether God would want you to serve. If you're part of the Grace family, God's calling you to service. God is calling you to be a participator in the ministry, not just a spectator on the side. So I know the Lord's call, and now you discern where. And if it doesn't fit right, and if it doesn't work right, we're better than Baskin-Robbins. We have more than 31 flavors. We have so many opportunities. And this message of grace is getting out to the world. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? When I say amen, the altar is open. Heavenly Father, it's such a blessing to serve here with these people. Not just in this place, but from this place. Because you're touching East Tennessee, and you're touching North America, and you are touching the world the ministries of grace. We were reminded of that very well this past Wednesday as we traveled all over to see our partners and had a taste of the world through Grace Go. 
And God, I pray that you would continue to raise up men and women and young people because as long as they know Jesus, there is no age restriction or limit here. But you would raise us up to be real, authentic worshipers. That we would let our praise be known to you. Not worrying about just what other folks think, but Lord, are you pleased? Are you well pleased with what we bring you as a church? Your hand has clearly been on us through this trying season. But I'm not expecting quid pro quo. I'm not expecting the same old, same old. Lord, I'm expecting something greater. And we don't want just to, we don't want to give, as I just said, for something. That's not our expectation. We want to give because it's good and right. We want to give our time. We want to give any talent we have because you gave it to us if we got anything. We want to give our treasure because it's yours anyway. And so all of these things we give back as an act of our worship. And in the final minutes we have together this August the 1st, 2021, I pray that you would move us to respond to your spirit and your opportunities right now for our good, but much more so for your glory. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.